Hello and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where the 49ers are about to win the Super Bowls for the first time since 1994. And the Chiefs are actually about to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) But what I'm really excited about is the superb owl. I'm really like (laughs) when I get to see the owl, that's the most important part of the game for me. That owl is superb. Really great owl. I'm Karen Peterson, joined by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we had completely forgotten that we're recording on Superb Owl Sunday, so um, that's how good of an American I am. Man, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> it's different so, when you don't have a team in the game, so. I don't have a team, period. <laughs> like, I guess Buffalo would be my team, like, if I cared, so, but that's really a... They really did a they really made a push for it this year. I was sad that they lost out, but they they've yeah. done they've they've made a push a couple of years, I think. But they um, have, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a lifelong 49ers fan. I have been since the 1980s. <laughs> so it's very back in the late thing. 1900s. Yes. <laughs> yep, that's me. So <laughs> I guess I was converted to the cult of Joe Montana. And uh, I haven't looked back, so, because I don't remember anything before that. <laughs> anyway, um, so today, well, first of all, how are you? How are you doing, Lauren? You good? Bad, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So, Fe- it's busy. February. It's February, <laughs> which sucks. But other than that, yeah. Yeah. February is, like, just that part of winter where you're like, why is it still winter? <laughs> Yes, winter should go from December 1st to January 2nd, and then that's it. Then spring. Yes. That's how that's how the season should work. I Correct. don't know why they don't. Correct. And then spring should last from January 3rd or 2nd to um, September. Yes. That would be Although good. I that's do how. like summer, but I like summer because of the weather. Here we get wonderful spring weather, so I'd be fine with that being all year long. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah um okay so let's see this week um there's this like fake made-up holiday coming up this week called valentine's day (laughs) just kidding uh sort of anyway we thought for this week's valentine's ish episode we would talk about the um is it a subgenre, maybe, of internet interdimensional romance? Which they do have a great collection on Criterion this month that has a whole bunch of interdimensional romance films, um, and there are some interesting, uh, some interesting and very very fun um, additions to that collection this this month. Um, Things like Solaris, both versions of Solaris, 
Birth from Jonathan Glazer. <laughs> um, you know, really happy movies. Uh, there's The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, Made in Heaven, Afterlife, um, Wings of Desire. So lots of different films. We decided this week to choose three of those. So we're going to be talking about A Matter of Life and Death from 1946 and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from 2004 and Starman from 1984. So those are those are our films today. And um, so I guess let's just jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do have to say, I this is not a subgenre. Let's let's be honest. This is a thing that Criterion Channel made. Up. Criterion made this up, yes. <laughs> but I like it, and I'm going with it. It's it's definitely there's an argument for it. I think like um, yeah, all like all of the films. Although it's interesting that some of the films are like kind of ghost stories or you know afterlife stories are very kind of sort of Judeo-Christian, and then others are aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's basically unconventional love stories between like not all human people that are alive yes i don't know another way to explain it it's it's like love that yeah it's love that's transcending time and space and life and death and all of those things yeah what are some things that besides what all the things that you just listed uh what what are some things that that you would say are common themes that we see in some of these films transcend transcend (laughs) life and death i mean yeah like it it is that sort of you know this i guess that some of the argument of a lot of the film seems to be that spiritual connection between people that and by spiritual i don't i'm not just saying like the in a religious sense and like a soul soulmate sense but um like a connection that does go beyond like the physical body physical presence um and like you know something like eternal sunshine uh which we'll talk about is very much about connection within the mind about having this connection with someone that is going to continue to exist no matter what you do mm-hmm. basically um yeah. and I, I think that all three of the films actually that we're talking about kind of run that so yeah it, it is that like i guess the the, clo- the closest you can come really is about transcendence that um there are that these are stories about people who are connected to each other beyond anything else. Yeah. Um, you might even say that they wrote their names on each other in permanent ink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in some ways, this like these films deal with destiny and fate, but all of them do it differently from each other and not necessarily mm-hmm. not necessarily in a way that we would consider destiny um all the always, but that's kind of the the general idea of it, I would say. Yeah. Um. Of uh, besides the three that we're going to talk about, do you have any other, um, any others that you love or that are in the collection this month that you are interested to check out? I think the two the two Solaris films are really interesting because they are very different films from each other. Um. Uh. The the remake is very is much more romantic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and like actually about these these two people versus the original, which has, is much more expansive and slow and not all not the easiest movie in the world to watch. Um, but I think that the both of those as kind of a pairing are, are very interesting. I like the Ghost of Mrs. Muir. That's fun. Yeah. Um, 
again, that's that's sort of an interesting one because it isn't people that have known each other in multiple lives or anything like that. It's this it's a romance between a woman and a ghost <laughs> like um, and and that's sort of an interesting an interesting kind of way to tell a, a romantic story because you can never they can never be together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this connection between them. So that one is really good, I think. Yeah. How about you? Um, in this particular collection, I mean, I'm I want to watch a bunch of them because I haven't seen most of them. I have seen the original Solaris. I haven't seen the um, the Soderbergh one. Um, Your name is is beautiful, and I'm not a big anime fan, but that's a beautiful film. Um, I I highly recommend that one. Um, but there's a couple that are not here that um, also well one that also came to mind it's related to one that's in the collection heaven can wait but the 1970 i don't know six version with warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. um i really enjoy that movie it's funny it's it's interesting and um i think it it really it actually also shares some some uh, similarities with uh, a matter of life and death which we're about to talk about but um just this idea of sometimes when people die they're not done and um and there's so much more that they can do and that that idea of love being that connection that kind of keeps them tethered to the world um yeah so so let's talk about a matter of life and death let's this was directed by michael powell and um um emmerich pressburger it's from 1946 and stars david niven roger is it live c i think it's live c yeah live c and kim hunter um this is a royal air force pilot is has to bail out of his burning plane but uh he doesn't have a parachute (laughs) and um he the last person he talks to is an american radio operator and uh, the two of them just have this connection right as he's about to die and except for that he doesn't die <laughs> and he's supposed to and so this causes a little bit of a problem for the people on the other side who are supposed to welcome him uh, into their group and so he gets the opportunity to um, to prove that he should get to to live anyway mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts about a matter of life and death this film i love this film the, the first time i saw it i i didn't i didn't get it i don't think the first time i saw it, the this this time i got choked up the first in the first 15 minutes because the first 15 minutes are really intense it's yeah. because he's basically and and the the film is filmed in technicolor and it goes into the violence of war really clearly um you've got this guy who's on this plane that is going to crash everybody else is dead uh, there is no hope as far as he's concerned. He can't bail out. And the last, the last thing that happens is he has this conversation with this woman. And it's it, the dialogue is just fantastic. The way that they make the connection between the two of them in this moment of like, this is the last thing I'm ever going to say. These are the last words I'm ever going to speak. Um, you know, I want you to send a telegram to my mother, right? All of those things. And I, I think that... Um, because this is a film that was being made in 1945, so this is right at the tail end of the war. This is also a film that's being made by people and directed towards people who have lost 
huge amounts of, of life, have lost loved ones, have lost sons and daughters and fathers, et cetera. Um, and are like seeing this in a very personal, but also a really genuine and sweet way because the connection that they make is so wonderful. And then the rest of the story is basically he, he, because of an error, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he buys time. Right. And in the time that he's bought, um, the time that he's given with the next 20 hours or whatever, he winds up falling in love. And that's the argument of the rest of the film. You have to let him live because what happened to him in the period that um, he should not have gotten, but he did is he fell in love and she fell in love with him. And that's more important than making sure the account books balance. Um, So for a film that's that's made at the tail end of world war two is very much this plea for, um, for love of like, this is what's important. What's really important is not killing is not, there's never, there's never any reference to the Nazis or to Germany or anything like that. It's not really about war. It's about the loss of life that happens in war and the people who have lost this opportunity and this one man who gets this opportunity to survive and for the future to carry on. Um, So it's, it's such a hopeful film. It's also very funny. Like I love Marius Goring um, who plays the the French aristocrat who is supposed (laughs) to be like, ushering him to the other side. It keeps arguing with David Niven. I love Roger Livesey. I love the entire trial sequence where you've got these Americans who are like pissed off uh, <laughs> at the English. And the, and I like the fact that it actually addresses things like, oh, we cannot get a, a jury anywhere in the world that doesn't have a grudge. In any England. time in history. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, let's talk. I, I love that it ends with, let's talk about the Irish. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> And even the English are like, okay, yes, all right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. This is the first time I've seen the film. So I was really surprised by how directly it calls out things like um, British colonialism and Mm -hmm. uh, the the whole British empire, (laughs) essentially, Um, very directly from British filmmakers. And uh, that was like, it was very... um, I don't know. It was just this very self-aware element of it that I think really made it feel true. You know, they didn't try to sugarcoat or, or, you know, paper over anything. It was very just war is brutal. There's, you know, love brings, brings some beauty to terrible things. And, but also we can't ignore all the bad things that have happened over the the centuries either um but it, but yeah i think it does all of that this is uh this is something that i think some filmmakers struggle with well we know this because we've talked about it a lot but sometimes they just get so caught up in like wanting to make their points that they just get a little too self-serious about it and i think why it works in this film is because of the fact that they're able to to kind of laugh about it or not not to make it a joke but to to use humor to highlight the reality of of some very terrible things that have happened in history and like the Mm -hmm. entire afterlife is filled with dead soldiers essentially who or at least this particular corner of it who have fought and died over many 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 centuries of you know of human existence and just that visual alone even though they don't ever have to like directly address that um, just the visual of it when when you see this huge audience of people watching this trial um just really getting that 
that scope of how many people have died in wars all over the world, it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, 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 it's very stark, you know, it's very like it, it stops you and it's just like, wow, war. I mean, we know war is bad, but it's like when you see a visual like that, it just really drives it home, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and some of the sequences where you just get these floods of people coming in, um, like you get American airmen and British sailors and all of that. And, and you just keep on seeing these people like walking and they lose each other in the crowds and stuff like that. It's very poignant. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Peter and June. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love it. I think it's, it feels realistic, like, and it is one of those that that's like, okay, this is a wartime romance, but there's this immediate connection between the two of them um, that feels very real. It's not superfluous. It's it, or it's not superficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's and again it's that those that first 15 minutes where he's like i'm gonna die and she's like i'm gonna hear you die and that's the connection that they they form with each other so the, if there's that intensity but then later on you actually see how the, they relate to each other um outside of that like you know he survived somehow he's survived and they're together yeah i it's funny because a lot of movies that have these whirlwind like very short time all of a sudden they're just in love and inseparable it's a little bit annoying because it's just like come on it's been 24 hours but in this case they really did a good job of of selling that and i think that's credit to david niven and kim hunter but i also think it's because of the way that it's written too like you like your point is is a good one that they they essentially meet under very intense circumstances and that's gonna just automatically bind people together you know they have this they have this connection that no one else has no one else can understand right away and so when they actually get to meet face to face um it turns out too that that they're both just kind good people and Mm-hmm. Of course they would be. It just it just makes sense that of course they would be drawn to each other and that it would be easy for them to fall in love. They've just both survived, you know, a war and he has survived a thing that should have killed him because it was supposed to. Um but yeah, so so just the way that that they start out it but it's sold on the fact that they're both just good people and that they're drawn to that goodness in each other too, not just the mm-hmm. the the extreme circumstances of their first encounter. Well, there's there's this whole thing that gets repeated of like, you know, I, I think he says we were born thousands of miles apart but we were made for each other, like all all of that kind mm-hmm. of thing where these are two people who under any other circumstances would never have met. Right. Mm -hmm. But under these ridiculous, insane, intense, horrible, horrible circumstances, something grows out of that. Yeah. Um, And I I think that that thematically, that's certainly the point of the film. Uh, And there's also, there's a line fairly late in the film, I think, where I think it's the Raymond Massey character is asking like, how can you believe that you actually love this woman? Right. Um, you know, how can you prove that? And he says, well, give me 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is that like, you know, you believe 
throughout the film that they are in it. They're they're in it for the long run. Neither one of them is going like, oh, we're we're not going to last or anything like that. It's just like, no, give us a give us fifty years and we'll prove we love each other. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much sweetness to it, and mm-hmm. but it is also a very funny movie too. I mean, the entire trial. So basically, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie and is fine with spoilers, um, basically what happens is once the um, once they discover that because he doesn't show up in heaven like he's supposed to, and once they realize that it's because he wasn't picked up by his conductor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because of the fog. I love that it's an English fog that like (laughs) messes up the Frenchman. Like he's just like, I couldn't find him in the fog. Uh, And so once they realize that's what happened, then you know he's supposed to go pick him up, but then he he's Peter's able to convince him to give him a little time. So um so then the this trial is to determine whether he gets to live or he has to die. And um just the way that it it's staged, not just the the stuff about the jury being all a bunch of people who hate British people, but um, but just the entire trial and and giving Peter this opportunity over and over again to to really express himself and and this defense counsel who is the doctor who was supposed to save his life um, in this surgery that now someone else has to perform. Um, it's it all of it just comes together in this really interesting scene or sec section i guess of the film where it's it's like in in the hands of a different filmmaker it probably would have just come out it could have just come out really cheesy really overplayed but it all works it just it's it's weird but in a in such a good way and it it Mm-hmm. lends to some very very moving parts mo- moments some very funny ones and then you ultimately get june gets to take a nap and come and testify too and um and it's just there's so much happening in that entire trial but it's it's just it's all so it's just so good i just i really i loved every moment of it where normally i think if someone else were doing this, I probably would have just thought it was weird and cheesy and kind of dumb. Well, the the humor is though, like you said earlier, the humor just threads throughout it. So it never gets too maudlin. It never gets yeah. too like, you know, and and what's what's the the crux of the entire thing is you have to prove you you love each other, that the this love is something that you should be granted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all of this. And I, I do like how the trial kind of escalates where you start out with these big arguments, right? Just like this is about America and Britain, or this is about, you know, the the rules of justice and of right. law and of heaven and earth. And then it gets smaller and smaller. It comes out to no, this is about two people. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do think that that one of the things that also makes it work is is Roger Livesey, who is very funny, but also very clever and quite grounded the character that he's playing is so grounded and smart and kind of no you, you get the sense that that like you know he's he's halfway in the other world half the time anyway mm-hmm. um he's very savvy and he's very smart and he's uh and he understands what's going on in a way um and it's also that balance between kind of this this rationalism and 
what he understands about the human mind, because the part of the argument is, oh, this is all taking place in Peter's mind. Right. Right. Um, And but what he's saying is just like, you know, at, at each turn, he's like he has to win his case in order to live. He has to win. So whatever that looks like, right, whether or not you're going to believe that he's up there arguing in front of the heavenly host. Right. Or he's arguing about this with people in his own mind. He has to win. And so we have to be certain that he wins. Yes. Um, and and it's really well done. So so it it deals with like those. They're very careful not to say this is heaven, right? Mm-hmm. They're very careful not to say yes. this is purgatory or anything like that. It so it's there, but it isn't there. Right. Um, and and it makes everything I think work really really organically. And like, and like you say, I think lesser filmmakers would would have gone in a very different direction. They would have gone heavier into the propaganda of it um heavier into the kind of the heaven versus earth sort of thing but it's much more fluid um in in the way that they do it yeah yeah and i i I love the contrast between the technicolor of earth yes and the black and white and both are photographed beautifully Mm -hmm. uh but just this whole thing like the the moment when um i'm trying to remember his it's marius goring who's always is so much fun to watch. Um, Conductor 71, who's this French aristocrat who, got, <laughs> who lost his head in the French Revolution. But I love that. And transfer- I love you keep saying, I lost my head. And you don't just realize like, at I- first that he's literally, he literally lost his head. Just like, did I tell you about my operation? <laughs> um, uh, but there, there's a moment when, he, when we see him go down to earth, right? And everything turns from black and white to color. And, and he's just like, oh, yeah, up, up there, we don't get technicolor. And he's so happy about it. He's like, oh, I finally get to see the world again. I finally get to see in color. There's something really beautiful about the fact that they're showing earth in this like gorgeous color scheme. Yeah. Uh, and, and that this, this is, so it's not like, oh, we're all going to, you know, we're going to go to heaven and see the bright lights and hear the angels sing. It's more like earth is where it all happens kind of thing. Um, and that's what we want to hang on to. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, Richard Livesey as the doctor, um, at the end of the movie, he, he says, nothing is stronger than the law in the universe, but on earth, nothing is stronger than love. And so that's where it really really drives home the difference in the coloring so you have the black and white of the universe where the law rules and everything is black and white but you have earth where everything is love and so it's all beautiful and colorful and and vibrant yeah it's it's a very it's a gorgeous film it's a very hopeful film it is Uh, and i think i think particularly strong given that this was made released in 1946 made in 1945 yeah yeah, in um, let's see, in 1999, it was ranked number 20 on BFI's best 100 British films, and it is, and, and it's it available is 78th on, on Sight and Sound, greatest films of all time. So, still in the conversation, people love it. Watch it on Criterion. Okay. Well, they should. Yes. So the next film we're going to talk about, we're going to jump ahead a few decades to 1984. And this is the film Starman, directed by John Carpenter. I always forget John Carpenter made this movie. I know. And it's it stars... So out. 
It's so what? So, it's so out there. Like it's so yeah. it's so different from what we associate with John Carpenter. Yes, but I will say that I feel like there are some some very specific things that really do feel like a John Carpenter film too. Like not in the horror aspects that we usually like recognize him for, but just visuals and and the filmmaking style itself. The mm-hmm. story is oh, very yeah. not a John Carpenter film, but I think some of the ways that the that the movie is made very much feel like okay, I can see it, <laughs> you know. Um, so this stars Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen, and basically Jeff Bridges plays a guy who. Uh, the Voyager probe invited him to come to Earth, so he comes and then they shoot him down because we suck. <laughs> <laughs> and, the entire uh, film, the entire <laughs> film, I was like, "You asked him to come, you invited him," and he's like, "What the hell? You invited me?" <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. So basically, he has three days to rendezvous with his people who are going to come pick him up because the Earthlings suck, particularly the American Earthlings suck. That was one of the common themes I saw in all three of these movies is like, man, all these are about how Americans suck just in different ways. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so he ends up at the farmhouse of a recently widowed Karen Allen, who uh, reluctantly sticks with him for the three days um, until he can get to Arizona from Wisconsin to meet up with his his uh, rescue team but uh in the process they spent a lot of time together and even though he cloned her dead husband and looks exactly like him uh she <laughs> finds herself connected to him for other reasons too not just because of of how he looks so um anyway but of course the american government is chasing them down as they make this trip and uh so there's always danger on the horizon so you had never seen starman before is that correct no i had seen it oh you had had. it's it's just been a really long time okay yeah so uh what what are what do you think of starman i you know what the first time i saw it i we we discussed this on slack the first time i saw it i was quite young i was probably i was a teenager um, and I remember being like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this movie? And and rewatching it this time as a grown-up, uh, I really liked it. And it's it's and I think the reason why it didn't it didn't like hit with me when I was a teenager is that it is a very different kind of alien movie. It's very individual, it's very much about the two of them. And you do have this this broader thing about um, you know, the government chasing them down and all that, but it is about like this cross-country road trip. Right. That these two people have to take in order to to get him back off the planet and her kind of learning to engage with life again. And one of the things I really liked about that I noticed throughout is that there's a lot that is about the savagery right, of human beings, basically, like he I think he calls at one point he calls you your barbarians. Right. Um, You're primitive. And and that's the way that like he from this very advanced society is looking at people but at, at another point he's like but you also have all of these wonderful things so he talks about food and he talks about connections and the fact that if in this advanced society they've lost that um and one of the things that i really liked throughout is that yeah there are bad people but there are also a lot of really good ones there are all of the waitresses and bartenders who help them mm-hmm. um there's there's the guy who gets driven off the road and she starts you know she's like 
he's trying to kidnap me and 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 he tries to help her like there are all of these moments where you do get that savagery right but you also get all of the good stuff too um and and that that's part of what he takes away from it and part of i think what the viewers intended to take away from it was is to recognize that it isn't we're all bad when human beings are like like terrible or whatever but like we are weird and complicated and violent but also wonderful at the same time and and she's human as well like she chooses to help him yeah he sees all that goodness right well and and pretty much the the bad guys in this movie are the american government specifically and the reason that they are is because we just have this kind of innate (laughs) habit i guess or trait i don't really know where anything that is different is we automatically assume it's dangerous and so it's not like they just wanted to kill the alien they they do that because they feel like he's hostile and they're being invaded even though they invited him (laughs) (laughs) so and i'm not trying to defend them i'm just like you know this is this is just kind of their thinking is oh this guy came he must be bad (laughs) yeah well you get you get the one guy who who does help them from uh from seti Mm -hmm. who whose reaction is just like well no we invited him we we sent them this record we said come and visit us yeah and and now we're trying to kill him what is the matter with you and so his whole thing is like i want to talk to this guy i want to know who he is like i want to learn from him and so so you do get that edge as well so it I think the film generally balances all of that really well, that mm-hmm. it isn't a condemnation. And I think I think that's one of the things that's surprising about it is very often we'll come down to like this condemnation of humanity at some yeah. level. Yeah. Um, but it isn't a condemnation of humanity. It's it's like human beings, you know, you're scared, you're strange, you're complicated, you react are reactive, you're primitive, all of those things. And all of that makes up humanity. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, just because you brought up um, the SETI guy, Mark, uh, played by Charles Martin Smith. I love that he plays like a, a alien expert or something, or at least he appears in just about every alien movie of the last 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> like You always see that guy. He's I he's in independent. He's in a lot of stuff. So anyway, um, I just had to mention that. It's fun. But but yeah, I, I think that going on this this three-day road trip across you know across the less populated part of the united states and really seeing this cross-section of of america and seeing just the the people that are just living their lives they're far removed from the hustle and bustle of city life they're far removed from government interference and and stuff like that and they're just living their lives and that's where you really do see I mean, it's changed a lot in 40 years. Now you see a lot of craziness, but um, but that's where you see people that are just that help each other. They don't have they live in mm-hmm. places where they don't have to lock their doors at night, you know, and they they're there for their neighbors. And and so getting to see that that and getting for him to get to experience that while he's being chased, but also getting to experience that not all people are are bad. Um, and some of them are actually quite wonderful, is is such a, a positive, hopeful message too. Mm-hmm. So let, let's. Should we talk about like the? Because there's a weird relationship that develops between the two of them. So they they kind of do this this thing 
of I am your husband, but I'm not your husband. Right. <laughs> like he knows things or he knows experiences. He's like absorbed. Because he's watched part. the videos and he's seen the movies. Yeah. So he and and his his physical body experiences a lot of like the things that like, even though he's not really right. this guy, he is this guy, right? Um, and so it's an interesting kind of when you talk about interdimensional romance, it's like she is deep. She's still grieving her husband. Mm -hmm. um, and then she's faced with this guy and her reaction to seeing him in the living room is just like, yep, that's about right. Like, that's what I would <laughs> to. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, it, so but it's it's this interesting development of this romance that happens over the course of three days where she is like terrified of him, but also fascinated by him and also he is her husband and all of those things kind of combine to create this very interesting like romantic relationship between the two of them and eventually she ends up pregnant <laughs> <laughs> yep with her uh, husband's uh, dna baby <laughs> her husband's baby but is also an alien baby yes and is going to become a great teacher this is such a jesus movie like come on uh, yeah. well let's talk about that <laughs> it's it's a jesus he comes to earth he he is own like they even give him three days yep <laughs> like come on um he essentially yeah, is like, resurrected <laughs> he, he's essentially resurrected and then he leaves behind and then the, the whole thing about like you know you're this the son will be will be your husband's but also mine uh he'd be human but also not you know all of those things just like so he's like god and also jesus and also the baby is jesus mm -hmm. like the it, it is very much I, I i that's very deliberate it's very much supposed to be this kind of uh you know sort of transplantation from the, the christian mythos into more of an alien sci-fi mythos um but but yeah like it's it's very much you know and, and he's and the whole thing about the son is that he's going to advance civilization he's going to become a teacher like all of those things yeah so jesus movie it is definitely persecuted <laughs> mm -hmm. yep by the government <laughs> uh yeah i so i first saw this movie uh i was probably seven or eight i don't know why our babysitter like watched it or like showed it to us one day after school and we used to watch stuff that was like way too old for us when we were kids that was part of what the 80s were all about and so when i saw this i did not understand it there's certain things that always stood out to me and i knew i liked it i just never could articulate why um but there's certain moments like like when he um resurrects the deer that a hunter has shot and um that really means a lot to jenny and then um also i remember this one's just so silly but i remember him running through the light and she's like no you're supposed to stop and he says no yellow means go very fast <laughs> 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 moments like that that just kind of stuck with me because i was a kid but it it really is such a like watching it now as a not a child <laughs> almost 40 years later um it really I can see what a what a beautiful story it actually is and how um I understand like you know part of it is just being a grown-up now I understand a lot of the themes in it and um and just have this appreciation for what this movie really is and th so this this 
relationship that forms where they can't be together and and ultimately they cannot be together Mm -hmm. but he leaves her with something that she never got to have i mean she and her husband didn't have kids because she wasn't able to and um and but now because of this you know unbelievable event that has occurred um that changes her life and now she gets something that uh, that she wasn't going to be able to have. And so where we leave Jenny at the end of the film from where we see her at the beginning, that journey, and it's only been three days, but it's it's just such a such a beautiful one and not just hopeful, but it really you can understand how like that would that not just because she spent three days with a star man, but everything that happened to her in that time and then what she ends up with in the end, completely changes the entire future of her life Mm -hmm. and i just i really love that yeah it's it's very lovely and it's very like um in some ways you know when you think about it it as a john carpenter film it's very subdued and in a lot in a certain sense um but i like that like it it's and and i do think that you know it it doesn't you're it's it's kind of like oh this wow john carpenter directed this but also he does consistently have concerns about you know humanity and Mm -hmm. about um and a lot of his horror films deal with that about the kind of the the strangeness at the center of humanity and the um and the political the political issues that are at the center of it and and so i think that starman is very much a part of that um that you know maybe we kind of miss a lot in his horror films and some of his other sci-fi films but that here is very much like no i mean he's he's interested in human beings and in how human beings react to these kinds of things yeah and that's why i said you know even though this very much feels like it's easy to forget that this was directed by john carpenter um there are certain elements of it visuals themes where you can see the kind of the through line of his filmography so yeah, yeah it, it it's it's actually very related to you know i, I kept on thinking about they live uh mm-hmm. when you know which is a very different film and a very different story obviously but it has affinities with it and the some of the undercurrents are very much there yeah any other thoughts about starman i get to see a lot of jeff bridges butt. So. yes yes there's <laughs> much bridges butt. And you know, in 1984, it was a nice butt. It was a very nice butt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> naked Jeff Bridges are just like, girl, I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> okay. So, the last movie we wanted to talk about, um, mostly so we could trample on people's loves uh, <laughs> for Valentine's Day um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which uh, was what, 2004? Yeah. And everyone loves this movie. I remember seeing it like somewhere around 2004 and thinking, okay, that was fine. I don't understand why everyone's so enamored of it, but it's fine. I I, I thought it was, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. I watched it again this week and I was like, I really don't get why people are so obsessed with this movie. I mean, I kind of do, but I also don't. <laughs> I get why they are because of yeah. who talks about it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, I know why people are obsessed with this movie, and I do not like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Uh, for anybody who may not have seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 
it's directed by Michael Gondry and stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Tom Wilkinson, Elijah Wood. Um, and basically, they there's this doctor, I think he's a doctor, who's developed this this treatment where you can have someone erased from your memory because that makes sense. Um, and so basically what has happened is Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, they've been in a relationship. They have broken up and she, he finds out through some mutual friends that she has had him erased from her memory. And so he's just like, well, screw that. I want to do it too. But when he's in there and the doctor's rooting around, taking stuff out, uh, he realizes he doesn't want to let her go. He wants to hide her away at some in some corner of her mind that they don't know about that they can't uh, can't take her so that he can have that memory of her always. Um, I don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so first of all, this film is written by Charlie Kaufman, which I oh, think yeah. kind of tells us what kind of wh- where it's going to go in some ways. It's I see. It, this is a film where I'm like, I, I actually really like the premise. I think mm-hmm. the premise is great. It's an interesting idea. And the whole, and some of the ways that they explore that premise, I think are really interesting. This whole idea of like, of course, if you've been through something that is so painful and you're like, you know what? I just want to, I just want to remove it from my brain. Right. Yeah. I do, I want to forget that any of this ever happened to me. And of course you don't really, because it's a part of who you are and all that. And I think that the film in places really explores that in an interesting way. Um, the, and so the, actually a lot of the, the more sci-fi, um, uh, sort of speculative fiction elements I quite like about it. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have with it is that at no point do I believe in this relationship at all. Yeah. It is not like what we are shown of their romantic relationship is just like, why are you two people together? Like we never see them being happy together. We know, ne- and particularly we never see why she would fall in love with this man. Why, like, I, I get like why he's in love with her to a certain degree because she's weird and quirky and everything, but we don't get them like happy with one another. We don't get them like, oh, they're in love or um, yeah, I totally get why she would have a thing for him. It's just like, why he's like right from the start, he's fucking boring. Mm-hmm. It's just, it drives me crazy. Like watching, I was like, these two people are no, they shouldn't be together to be totally honest. Yeah. We see moments of them having a good time together. Like when they're laying on the ice and looking up at the sky or, or, you know, those kinds of things, but, but they're moments. Those aren't. That we never see them happily talking about their future, looking forward to, you know, yeah, we never see what she loves about him. But part of that is because this entire story is from his point of view. And yeah. so it's like if we actually got a chance to talk to her and especially when you hear what she has said about him later and why she wanted to erase him from her mind, it's like, yeah. This would have been an entirely different movie if she got to share her thoughts um, rather than just yeah. being literally the manic pixie dream girl. Because she, like what we see of her is what is created in his mind. Essentially, it's his memories of her. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we do we do see some of the like before the procedure and 
and everything. But really, the reality is that everything we see and experience about her comes from what he remembers. And, well, and it's, oh, sorry. I was just, to me, it's, it's so superficial, though. That's, yes. That's the yes. problem. It's just like, why? Okay, she's pretty. She's, she's kind of quirky, right? But that's not the basis of falling in love with anyone. Right. You know, they're asking, what do you love about her? Because what we see is what he doesn't love about her, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than, like you said, those little snapshots, which are very sort of, I'm, I'm sorry, early aughts rom-com mm-hmm. snapshots, right? But I'm like, but but why do you love, like, why do you love her? Why is, why is, she, why are you so obsessed with her that, and like so struggling with the loss of her that you have to, you decide that you're going to erase her completely because it's just too hard for you. Like, why? We don't see that. Right. Well, um, and the other thing, too, is I feel like the reason that he really wants to erase her is more out of spite because she did it to him. But that never really gets addressed yeah. or called out. You know, he never he never is is really called out for anything that he says or does. And mm-hmm. um, and that's another reason why I feel like this movie is just so unfair to her. It's also very unfair to Kirsten Dunst, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, and see, you know, I actually I think that what we learn about Kirsten Dunst, her character, as well as like all of the other like the other smaller the subplot relationships mm-hmm. i think that that's that's again where the movie begins to move into interesting territory it's like okay the the effects of removing someone and the way that that can be abused yeah right and all of that and that's interesting that's something that's really interesting to explore but like you say it never really gets explored right um it, it does it's sort of hinted at and then we're kind of like all right we're just going to write that out because what we're really concerned about is the fact that Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet should be together. I was like, but they shouldn't. Yeah. At least not from what we've seen. So it, it does like, yeah, like the Jim Carrey character is very much a cipher. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he doesn't feel real or or something like he 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 does he feels like a, a self-insert, like a reader insert. Yeah. Um he's a he's a Mary Sue or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be like, oh, he's so deep and like depressed, and it's just like, but, but there's nothing there. There's not. There's nothing interesting about him. There really isn't. And and but just to your point too of, you know, the like I think why this movie is still watchable for me. I mean, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's so incomplete. I really feel, and um. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason for that is because every time they start to go into something really interesting, they snatch back because they want they want so badly for this to be a romance film. And it's not. This is a sci-fi film about messing around in people's brains and hearts. And there's so much interesting stuff that can be done with that and like really things that they can explore. And if they had gone into her storyline as well you know and like the the two because at toward the end after he's finished his procedure they have this encounter and they hear they're like in the car together because they've just Mm -hmm. met like the whole thing that they just erased just happened again and i think the the implication is supposed to be that it you know even if you erase someone 
destiny is destiny and you're just still going to end up with them anyway or like you're going to be in this repeated cycle over and over Mm -hmm. again because you delete them from your mind so you don't remember to stay away from them and protect yourself from further harm you know and then because of things that happen they end up hearing recordings of what each one has said about the other and they're horrible horrible things and even despite all of that he's still very much like yeah but I love you. Like, let's just give this a go. And she's just like, wait, what? No. <laughs> like, we don't want to end up as those people all over again. And he's like, but sure I do. And that's where it's like, this is very much a romance for boys. I know there's lots of women who like it too. But this is where, for me, this feels like a romance for boys. Because this is that, that like, whatever, you know, like, I don't have to think logically about this. I just know what I feel and what I feel is like, you're super hot and let's just be together <laughs> instead of thinking about what we're actually going to eventually do to each other all over again. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. It, it does. If it ultimately for a film that plays so much about the mind and about the complexity of memory and all that, if it, it feels very superficial. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I'm similar to you when I saw it the first time. I didn't see it when it came out, I don't think, but I remember I saw it like sometime probably when I was in college. Um, and I just remember being like, okay, it's fine. Like I didn't have an issue with it or anything. It didn't stick with me or anything like that. This time I legitimately was like, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't hate, I think that there are lots of really good things that are within it, but mm-hmm. none of it is explored in a way that I find that I find interesting. And you do definitely see that kind of, that manic pixie dream girl concept that then gets is such a fucking problem in films from this era yeah, and gets worse and is never explored uh, completely in the way that it needs to be because people keep on mistaking it for romance and a love story and not a guy projecting all of his desires onto this woman who does not want them projected onto her. Yeah. There's a good line in the movie. It's toward the end. It's there in the bookshop. And she says to him, too many guys think that I'm a concept or, you know, something like that. But I'm just a messed up girl looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. And that's a great line. But the problem is the entire movie is making her a concept and they don't actually live up to what she's begging for in that moment. Yeah. It, they never follow that through at no. all. No. Um, I, I, I will say just as a kind of a sideline, uh, I, I recently saw um, a couple of weeks ago the movie Chilly Scenes of Winter, mm-hmm. which might be the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie, only <laughs> it's very much about this this relationship that has fallen apart and the man remembering back to the relationship and trying to start it up again, like all kinds of things. Only what we get throughout is it's directed by Joan Micklin Silver and what we get throughout is the lead female character saying like, you have created a fantasy version of me. And that's the person you're in love with. It's not me. And you have to stop saying I'm perfect. I'm this, I'm that. I'm not. And the film reinforces that over and over and over again. So I would suggest that people watch that film. It's a very good film. It's very well acted. Uh, It's difficult in places, but it's very much like this is closer to the reality of what we're talking about here yeah oh interesting any other thoughts about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind 
Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I just, it's, I, it is not aged well. If you've not seen it in a while, I would suggest going back and watching it. If you loved it and like, and just maybe explaining, if you still love it, maybe explaining why I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please, uh, please send us a, an essay, five paragraph essay <laughs> with citations. <laughs> backing up your claim that this is a good movie <laughs> just kidding um yeah no i mean i i i don't want to offend anybody who still does love this movie but i would like to know what it is about this that you love and i would wager that most people just that do really love it just see the the romance and the hopefulness between you know this guy and the woman he remembers um and just that idea i i like i conceptually i like the idea of he realizes in the moment that he doesn't want to let her go and so he's trying to hide her away but the resulting movie just doesn't quite make that work kind of to me but i would love to know if uh, you know i'd like i'd love to hear from people who disagree with that Mm -hmm. yeah me too so like sincerely genuinely not to argue with you i want to know i want to (laughs) understand so any other listen to your minds yes. <laughs> <laughs> any other thoughts Lauren? uh i i did want want to say because um i forgot to mention this at the beginning of the podcast i did get to go see um the dorothy arsner's film the wild party yeah uh with nanina over actually two days ago um and it was very cool it was showing at film forum um as part of their Rama. um film festival which is a bunch of lesbian films um i think it's it's a little bit of a stretch to say that this is a lesbian film it definitely has lesbian sub subtext that at, in places almost becomes not subtext um <laughs> but it's a really good film it was clara bow's first uh talkie it dorothy arsner essentially invented the boom mic for her um it, it's a it's a wonderful film it's not easy to see i know that there's a very bad copy floating around on internet archive this one was actually restored it was in 35 millimeter um very good audio etc it's it's definitely got some problematic edges but one of the things i really loved about it is that so much of the film is very much about relationships between women um and not just not like romantic relationships necessarily although there's a there's definitely an undercurrent there um in in a couple of the relationships but also just the way that women support each other and love each other um and take care of one another in the context of this movie about you know a wild a wild party girl in college basically uh but it, it's a very well done film like if people get a chance to see it it's been preserved i guess by um ucla hopefully at some point they will release it in a pristine copy that we'll all get to watch um but it was very exciting to get to see a dorothy arsner film that i had never seen that's so, awesome yeah. I'm so happy for you, and I'm so sad for me that I didn't get to see it. <laughs> see, got it. You got to fly to New York, come to Film Forum, and uh, you know they get some interesting stuff. I've got to say. Okay, cool. Um, well, since we're talking about things that we just watched, I will also just mention that I saw Lisa Frankenstein this week, and I've been so looking forward to it. It's directed by Zelda Williams and written by Diablo Cody. And I love in the marketing, they said the acclaimed writer of Jennifer's body, (laughs) Diablo Cody. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just going to say that this movie has gotten a lot of hate and some of this is deserved. I don't think it's a 
very even movie, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was sweet. Um, it's weird and doesn't all work, but I really, I, I thought it was a very sweet movie and I really, I really enjoyed it. So I had fun with it. I, cool. I do think it has a pacing problem. Uh, I will give, I will give people that. Um, but Catherine Newton and uh, Cole Sprouse are just really, really, really cute together. And um, it's, yeah, it was fun. So if you get a chance, check it out. Cool. Yeah. Also, women should be allowed to make uneven films. Yes, they should. Like, I, I've, I've been talking about this in other contexts about other groups of people, but for real, women, my, my nor- people of color, queer people, etc. we need to be allowed to make uneven films, make bad films even. Mm-hmm. That and are then like get bad to make more movies, yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm so fucking tired of having conversations where it's like, well, it's not the perfect film, therefore it's a failure. It's like, it no, I have seen so many mediocre films by white men. Yeah. So many. I'm so like, and that's fine. People should be allowed to make mediocre films. Mm-hmm. We're everyone. Yes, everyone should be allowed to make mediocre movies. <laughs> it should just let be us, okay. <laughs> let us make our hotel art, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh. But anyway, yeah. So, all right. Anything else before we wrap up? No, this was fun. I had a good time. <laughs> this was fun. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Go 49ers. Um, it's really going to suck if the 49ers lose and I have to listen to this all over again. But it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I'm barely going to pay attention to it. So I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, look, who! look, the Chiefs won. That's nice. <laughs> I will text you happy emojis when the 49ers win. So all right, all right. So if I don't hear from you, I'll just be like, ah, the Chiefs won. Mm. <laughs> oh goodness. All right. Well, that is gonna wrap things up for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. And we really want to thank our patrons for helping keep the show going. Uh they are Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James. Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. If you would like to join them and become a patron yourself and help support the show and keep feminist film criticism and discussion uh, on the internet, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up. We also have our ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. These are just a couple of ways that you can support us. Um, and we do have an Etsy shop, etsy.com slash shop slash citizen dame pod. I'm still working out some kinks there because sometimes it's up and sometimes it's not. But I think I figured out the problem. I just haven't had time to go in and fix it, fix it. So this week it will be done for sure. Um, So if you go in there and looking for it and you can't find it, just come back a little bit later because it'll it'll show up it's weird <laughs> anyway <laughs> etsy support is great though they're really wonderful so i'm um, i'm on it uh we also have our website citizendamepod.com where we have lots of reviews and essays um lauren has a great one of oh, two great ones on our flag means death and some more stuff coming i'm still trying to finish up some stuff from sundance as well so um that's what i'll be working on this week um, and you can contact us in lots of ways. We have our email, citizendamepod at gmail.com, and you can find us on the internet, uh, Twitter, sort of. I'm basically just posting links to our episodes there at this point. We're not really using it, but um, but you're welcome to follow us there. Uh, and Instagram at citizendamepod. Uh, also, we're on Blue Sky, citizendamepod at 
you know, just just look for Citizen Dame Pod. You'll find us. And um, probably our most <laughs> used social media right now is Letterboxd. And you can find us there at Citizen Dame. We are a Letterboxd HQ. So you can also find links to our episodes and our articles on our website. Uh, just going to Letterboxd. That's probably the easiest way to, to find us. So Lauren, where are you? I am on the various socials. I'm not really on Twitter anymore. I do still have an account, but um, I I, the, the, I think the last time I used it was solely to be like, hey, our flagging says should get picked up by somebody and it still should. It um, still should, yes. It still fucking should. I'm going to fight someone. I'm going to fight David Zaslav. I'm going to fight him so hard. <laughs> he made Reese Darby sad. That's yeah. not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. So mad about it. <laughs> so yeah i am on the very socials at lh business and i am at karen m peterson so that's gonna wrap things up for this week once again thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time bye there are so many questions that i'd like to ask you i hardly even know where to begin have people from your world been here before before yes we are interested in your species you mean some kind of an anthropologist is that what you're doing here just checking us out you are a strange species not like any other and you would be surprised how many there are intelligent but savage shall i tell you what i find beautiful about you You are at your very best when things are worst. Let him go, Mr. Sherman, please.